four important mind states that we need to develop are what we call the sublime abidings. They're divine abidings. And why are they divine? Why are they exalted? Because they help bring our mind out of its old habits. And those habits tend to be conflicted. They tend to be the, the lesser, the, our default, into, for example, self-deprecation or being negative, critical of ourselves or someone else instead of loving and appreciative. Or, or we fall into states of uh, dismissing and pitying. Oh, what a terrible situation. But we can't really feel it because it's too painful. So an, an inability to empathize with a situation that we're facing ourselves uh, involving something that is being demanded of us, but we can't connect to it because it's, it's too painful. So we're, we dismiss it. Well, we, we go into a kind of denial. And likewise with someone else. For example, working here in hospice, sometimes horrific things are going on, and visually, we can take it in, but there's a, there's a kind of closing happening here because it's, it's just too frightening. We can't go there. We can't really take it in. So we shut down a little bit. Lack of ability to really empathize and feel the, the suffering of the other person. And we may try to distract ourselves or distract them by speaking when it's not necessary, when what's really being asked of us is to bear witness and be silent with their pain, rather than trying to help them focus on something else. Now, sometimes, maybe that's the best thing we could do. But if we're coming from our own aversion to their pain, we may not be making the right decision where it concerns what would be best for that situation. The third kind of skillful emotion is one of bringing up a sense of joy in our hearts. Instead, if someone expresses appreciation for you, our, many of us, we come from um, self-consciousness and we, oh, no, it's, it's nothing. or It was her. It was, that's quite chivalrous or noble. If you don't want to take credit, you want somebody else to have the spotlight. But maybe the person is really trying to express love and we can't receive it. So that's something good to look at. Now what about when someone we don't like is having a good time or lucky or something very wonderful happened to them and maybe we think they don't deserve it. We have an opinion. How do we let go of that? How do we bring up a feeling of empathy, of reaching out to celebrate with that person, that they're happy, even if we have an opinion? Can we let go of the opinion and just say, well, that's a good thing. There's something good is happening. Can we smile and say, oh, I'm so happy for you? <laughs> There'll be a little editorial. Can, can we delete the editorial before it spoils the joy that 
we could be experiencing with them. And that's very difficult to feel joy for someone that you have an opinion about, a negative opinion especially. And you can contemplate in your own life who, in what situation you've run into where that may have happened. And then the fourth skillful emotion, it's more than skillful, it's, it's a blessed state of mind if you can bring it up. And that's being able to be with things as they are, no matter how unpleasant, how terrible they might seem, without shutting down, growing an ability to accept what life is bringing. Grief, loss, betrayal, disappointment, tragic circumstances, an accident. Being able to cultivate and train our minds to open up to, well, this maybe there's a teaching. There's a message coming for me. What can I learn from this? Rather than believing that something is wrong. Immediately we will be the judge. We'll be judging in a critical way. Something must be wrong. Can we try to grow stronger and be peaceful with things just as they are. What we're trying to develop is the intuitive ability to see and understand our experience without the conceptual overlay that is full of opinion, full of judgment, and conditioned to receive things with this judging, rejecting, choosing, labeling, filtering, so that we avoid pain and collect pleasurable experience. That way of living can only bring us, at some point, to a degree of suffering, of unhappiness, because in the end, we find that there is no way that we can control our experience. So how can we have peace when we're not in control How can we establish ourselves in peace if we're constantly running away from what we're afraid of or don't like and grasping after the things that cannot be kept or held? But the happiness we want is not in those unfulfilling worldly experiences. Now this is very important for hospice work, but it's also important for our own work as human beings seeking happiness. Let's start with the first one. This is a way of developing a sense of well-being in ourselves and then well-wishing towards others. Instead of getting caught up in thought and focusing just on the, the object and watching the breath, we try to bring up a sense of well-being. And we do that by repeating some phrases like, may I be well, may I be happy, may I be peaceful. And the similarity with the meditation that you've been trying to practice until now is that we're not allowing the mind to get caught up in thought. That's the basic similarity. And we're trying to return to feeling what we're feeling and lifting the bar on that feeling so that it becomes exalted. Instead of being drowsy and tired, we're trying to radiate like a lamp 
light the little lamp in the heart and radiate this light that is naturally inherent within us. It's a native light. It's not Canadian light. It has no nationality. It's not female. It's not feminine or masculine. It's not a senior or a junior. It has nothing to do with our profession or our education, our weight, where we live, what language we speak, nothing like that. It's native. It's intuitive. All of us have this light. And by bringing up these suggestions in the mind, we illuminate our whole body with the energy of that light. And we stick to those phrases. Have you ever been on a type of sky train where there's this voice that comes on It says, doors are closing, doors are closing, next station, and it announces it? It's, it's quite eerie in a way. We're not trying to be automated here. Some people really have a resistance to this practice because they don't have a feeling of loving kindness for themselves. If you are used to being self-critical, this is a good antidote to that self-critical commentary that is automatic. That's our default. Whenever we're busy in the world, going about our daily routine, if we stop to play back what's been going on, it'll be a negative take. Oh no, you did that again. What's the matter with you anyway? (laughs) Does that sound familiar? And we really need to live more consciously to catch ourselves doing that. By training our minds to bring up this loving, friendly feeling towards ourselves and radiating that feeling from the depths of our non-egoic resting place, the core of what is behind ego, the ego that's slapping us over and over again, beating ourselves up, as somebody else may have done for us when we were younger. So we learned that. If it wasn't a parent or a sibling, it could have been a teacher. It could have just been commercials on TV. I don't know what it was. But our society has some kind of knack for conditioning us to carry around this feeling of maybe it was our religion that we unconsciously wrongly interpreted or rightly interpreted and still continue to replay constantly as we live. As soon as we become conscious of that voice, the time is now to stop it. And to practice stopping it and disable that mechanism so we no longer abide in such negativity. Instead, we cannot go from that kind of overlay of a voice telling us what we're like to silence. We need some other voice to replace it till we can just be with the joy of our own inner light. That takes some getting used to. We sometimes have to introduce a mantra or a repetitive phrase that reminds us that we are the light we're seeking. We are the joy we're running after. We don't have to run anymore. And we don't have to listen to individual, internal, or social, external programs 
that convince us otherwise. We can put those to rest, R.I.P., so that we can rest in peace, real peace. And this is called the loving-kindness meditation, which I'd like to practice with you today. There are three other kinds of meditation, and this one is the foundation for them, which we develop in turn. We might not have time to do the others in this retreat, but you could try to also practice those on your own. If ever you find yourself in a situation where you are feeling very distressed, you can try to practice compassion for yourself. May I be able to feel the suffering arising in my heart. May I be peaceful with that. As to myself, so may the person I am with feel at ease and be able to dwell at ease with the pain arising for them. This is actually a practice. May the suffering that is arising for me end. May my suffering be overcome. You choose your own words. May the suffering of my friend or loved one be short-lived and pass away. Or may they pass away without pain. These are different ways that we can work with extreme difficulty that we're facing ourselves, physical or emotional, or that someone with us is encountering. And the third kind of practice is trying to share or focus on the joyful feeling that we we feel and growing it so that it goes beyond requiring things to be a certain way. Like regardless of what conditions we're facing, may the joy that I have, may the happiness I feel continue. May I not be separated from this happiness. And then you wish that towards others, starting with those you love and then moving on to people you don't know very well, and finally even wishing your enemy that kind of joy. May the leader of Al-Qaeda, well, yes, because if they were able to experience true joy, then they would never want to cause harm to someone else. Of course, that might be a very selfish way of looking at it. (laughs) Every human being has the right to happiness. And then we wish that they could know the happiness of ethical living as a basis. But that's a whole other practice. The fourth one, which is so difficult, is to have equanimity, not indifference, but an ability to be at peace with all conditions, even if it's deep injustice. We still can make peace with it. That's the perfection. The perfection of... The other three is a good foundation for developing equanimity. But if we want to practice this loving-kindness meditation, it is really to work with going from a friend, a loved one, a friend, a neutral person, to a hostile person or an enemy. You really have to build up to that. If you don't think of an enemy, you might try to work with a difficult emotion, anger in yourself. And then what makes you angry? 
what is it that you feel angry about that you're dealing with and you can try to direct this sense of this pure loving feeling towards the anger itself it's a forgiveness it's the energy of forgiveness the joy of forgiveness it's a great gift that we can give ourselves and we carry it with us we don't have to go ask someone else forgive me it's non-egoic it's impersonal it's a universal reservoir of love unconditional and forgiveness and when we put a, a line into it we can then like a straw you can sip it as you need all we have to learn how to do is plug into that so that we stop being enemies to ourselves really if we want to practice this correctly we don't go serially from person to person externally but we we find those people within us embodied in our own beliefs about ourselves our own attitudes that we've congealed and fixed in our hearts over years and years of habit of the training according to the voices the commentaries the editorial panel that has become part of our internal infrastructure <laughs> it's like the local utility company <laughs> where do you get your electricity <laughs> it comes from anger uh, you get your energy from the anger you feel towards yourself because you can't forget something that you did that you not you don't feel happy at peace with yourself about whether you call it guilt or uh shame remorse regret um just negativity built up over years it's a, it's an opinion but we have it encapsulated in this very believable story that we just then we've got this little backpack on and there it is it becomes part of our makeup every time you meet somebody you introduce yourself and that little component is built in the tone of our presentation whether we realize it or not other people may pick it up and they receive cues from us about how they should treat us and that's how the world keeps circling so these are important things that we can learn this is a tremendous mining adventure we go in to mine out the dangerous elements that are within the heart we mine them because they need to be exorcised and when we do that like expelling the rubbish then we have mined for gold because what's left is light is the gold it's the the essence the truth of what we are so we don't have to add we don't have to search for those qualities we have the capacity the potential the whole reservoir of goodness is in us already we are our native nature is that purity 
but it's covered, it's concealed. Like coal, through pressure and pressure of millions of years, in coal itself there is the diamond. In this bent up, beaten, broken person that we think we are, there is a diamond. We have to mine for it by removing the dross that we carry and that we hide behind. And the powerful practice of this loving-kindness meditation is a tool. It's like a pickaxe, but it's much more gentle, of course. It's trying to tease out, tease out ever so gently, peel away the layers of life and take us back to our our deepest joyfulness. The secret is to get up out of this chair and sit in the cave of the heart where we can be in the palm of, in the glow of that radiance, not far from it, not separate from it, but to be it. This would be our life's mission if we could accomplish that. So yes, practice it not just regularly, but eventually, if that could be our abiding. That's why the word abiding is used to describe, these are exalted mind states, perfect love, perfect compassion, perfect joy, perfect equanimity. We're not perfect, but we can perfect our state if we're willing to know who we really are and accept that we have this power. It might be frightening, but we have a responsibility to take it on and use it for our own happiness, for the happiness of everyone. Yes? Now, uh, do you direct it towards an incident in your life? You're no longer that kid. But whenever we suffer the memory of something, we are that child. So in a way, we have to bring up the feeling of being locked in that little syndrome. It's like a little cinema that keeps replaying. And when the cinema replays, we're the main actor in it. But we're not an actor. For us, it's not a cinema. It's a very real event. And whatever played out then is playing out in our body and consciousness again. We can even find ourselves weeping with those same emotions. So we can focus on the feelings in our own bodies. Go to the feeling and forgive, open up, allow, give it light, give it space. Forgive. Let it go. Let it be. It's like baking. The heat of your love bakes out the impurities so that you lay it to rest. Lay it to rest. It's a process. And the combination of of the meditation practice, the normal meditation practice, which helps us use the radar of the mind to find these places of tension and holding. And then we can use loving kindness to open them completely more and more until they soften and melt. It's a meltdown. It can be very frightening. You might 
want to do that more in a group meditation than by yourself or in a retreat situation where you can get guidance from a teacher. But definitely, you trust the feelings in your body. If you're like this, if there's uncontrollable weeping or a panic attack or you feel anxiety, you feel the need to be filling the anxiety by distracting into doing, go shopping, or eat. What are the ways we distract ourselves? All the, the ways we train ourselves not to feel those, those conflicted feelings again. Or they may express themselves as adults. They may come up for us in other ways, like unskillful relationship with other people in our lives. Allowing them to inflict on us the pain that repeat that cinema in an adult or present form. But we're repeating the same thing. Whatever abuse we experienced, we commit it again. Either we do it to ourselves or to someone else, or we allow someone to act it out on us. And then they're playing their little cinemas. And so the whole conflicted tangle of the social network replays itself. Basically, we're all a bit mentally ill. (laughs) That's the truth of it. You know, different degrees of mental and emotional illness. Instability, emotional imbalance. And the healing comes from these refined ancient practices that take us back to our essential nature to remind us that we hold a strength, a purity in us that is unbreakable. And we only fail to use it because we believe that we are broken. But we are not broken. We are greater than we know. And we have the capacity to be our own doctor, nurse, caretaker, most intimate friend. If we could, we can use these tools properly. This is not the stuff of a six-week course, but we do our best as we meet together in these sessions to slowly cover a little bit of ground so that you can take these practices home and apply them in your everyday life and do some good with them for yourselves and for others. It's a quiet, invisible type of work. It takes tremendous application and patience. As Carolyn mentioned last week, after a year of doing this, suddenly you get the feeling that now I know what it's... I just, it just hit me. Hey, this is what it's about. It's like discovering a new kind of food and realizing how good it is for your body. This is a food for the heart. I don't classify these courses anymore as beginner, intermediate, or advanced. It's the same. It's just a lifetime of work. So the more we meet, the more we enable each other. And we need each other to enable. We like to think that you meditate in in all activities. Meditating on the functions of the body. 
and seeing how the body slowly ages and deteriorates and how we respond to that because that's what we're doing in hospice we're working with people who's who are losing their functions and they are just a reflection of our own process we're just going we're all going in the same direction day by day so what can we learn from that from seeing how we retract or withdraw from watching and seeing their suffering they're working with infections with horrendous pain with loss of control of bodily functions this is so humiliating and to be able to retain our dignity even with the loss of that because that we are not that if we identify with the body we feel humiliated if we don't think if we know better than to believe that this body is who i am then we retain an equanimity and a dignity that well, the body is disappearing fading away but the mind is bright and radiant able to feel compassion for this process that we must pass through so i have to catch flight 417 back to perth <laughs> i wish you a wonderful week and see you, you next time thank you thank you very much bless you